This is John W. Whitehead, author of Battlefield America, The War on the American People, bringing you a message about the state of our nation. As one of our so-called founding fathers once said, Benjamin Franklin, whoever would overthrow the liberty of a nation must begin by subduing the freeness of speech. If that's true, ladies and gentlemen, America is a mess. In fact, America has become ever more polarized, and those polarized factions have become more militant and less inclined to listen to or even allow the existence of other viewpoints. We are fast becoming a nation of people who just can't get along. Here's the thing. If Americans don't learn how to get along, at the very least, agreeing to disagree and respecting each other's right to subscribe to beliefs and opinions that may be offensive, hateful, intolerant, or merely different, then we're going to soon find out that we have no rights whatsoever to speak, assemble, agree, disagree, protest, opt in, opt out, or forge our own paths as individual citizens. In such an environment, when we can't agree to disagree, the bullies on both sides win and freedom suffers. Intolerance, once the domain of the politically correct and self-righteous, has become institutionalized, normalized, and politicized. Even those who dare to defend speech that may be unpopular or hateful as a constitutional right are now accused of weaponizing the First Amendment. On college campuses across the country, speakers whose views are deemed offensive to some of the student body are having their invitations recalled or canceled, being shouted down by hecklers or forced to hire costly security details. In other words, college students support free speech unless it offends them. It's not just college students, however, who have lost their taste for diverse viewpoints in free speech. In Charlottesville, Virginia, for example, in the wake of a violent clash between the alt-right and alt-left over whether Confederate statutes should remain standing in a community park, city council meetings were routinely punctuated with screaming matches, confrontations, calls to orders, and even arrests, making it all but impossible for those attending to even speak their minds. In Maryland, a 90-year-old World War I Peace Cross memorial that pays tribute to the valor, courage, and sacrifice of 49 members of the Prince George community who died in battle is under fire because a group of humanists believes the memorial, which evokes the rows of wooden Latin crosses that mark the graves of these servicemen who fell on the battlefields, they say that's offensive and should be taken down. On Twitter, President Trump, has repeatedly called for the NFL to penalize players who take a knee in protest of police brutality during the national anthem, which clearly flies in the face of the First Amendment's assurance of the right to free speech and protest, especially in light of the president's decision to insert himself as an agent of the government into a private workplace dispute. On Facebook, Alex Jones, the King of conspiracy theorists who spawned an empire built on alternative news has been banned for posting content that violates the social media site's so-called community standards, which prohibit posts that can be construed as bullying or hateful. But Jones is not alone in being censored to, for content that might be construed as false or offensive. Facebook, believe it or not, also flagged the Canadian Museum for posting abstract nude paintings by the great painter Pablo Picasso. Even the American Civil Liberties Union, once a group known for taking on the most controversial speech cases, is contemplating stepping back from its full-throated defense of free speech. 
which one time the ACLU would defend any type of speech protected under the First Amendment. What we are forgetting, folks, what we are forgetting is that tolerance cuts both ways. It's not an easy pill to swallow, I know that, but that's the way free speech works, especially when it comes to tolerating speech that we hate. The most controversial issues of the day, gay rights, abortion, race, religion, sexuality, political correctness, police brutality, and so on, have become battlegrounds for those who claim to believe in the freedom of speech, but only when it favors the views and positions they support. This haphazard reproach to the First Amendment has so muddied the waters that even the First Amendment scholars now are finding it hard to navigate at times. But let me tell you this, it's really not all that hard. The First Amendment affirms the right of the people to speak freely, worship freely, peaceably assemble, petition the government for a redress of grievances, and have a free press. Nowhere in the First Amendment does it permit the government to limit speech in order to avoid causing offense, hurting someone's feelings, safeguarding the government's secrets, protecting government officials, insulating judges from undue influence, discouraging bullying, penalizing hateful ideas and actions, eliminating terrorism, combating prejudice, intolerance, and the like. Unfortunately, in the war being waged between free speech purists who believe that free speech is an absolute right and those who believe that free speech is a mere privilege to be granted only under certain conditions, the censors are now winning. We have entered into an egotistical, insulated, narcissistic era in which free speech has become regulated speech to be celebrated when it reflects the values of the majority and tolerated otherwise unless it moves so far beyond our political, religious, and socioeconomic comfort zone as to be rendered dangerous and unacceptable. Protest laws, free speech zones, bubble zones, trespass zones, anti-bullying legislation, zero tolerance policies, hate crime laws, and the host of other legalistic maladies dreamed up by politicians and prosecutors and championed by those who want to suppress speech with which they might disagree have conspired to corrode our core freedoms purportedly for our own good. On paper, at least, according to the U.S. Constitution, we are technically free to speak. In reality, however, we are only as free to speak as a government official or, or their corporate allies such as Facebook, Google, or YouTube may allow. Emboldened by phrases such as hate crimes, bullying, extremism, microaggressions, the nation has, be, has been whittling away at free speech, confining it to carefully constructed free speech zones, criminalizing it when it skates too close to challenging the status quo, shaming it when it butts up against politically correct ideas, and muzzling it when it appears dangerous. The conclusion, free speech is no longer free. The U.S. Supreme Court has long been the referee in the tug of war over the nation's tolerance for free speech and other expressive activities protected by the First Amendment. Yet the Supreme Court's role as the arbiter of justice, as it's called, in these disputes is undergoing a sea change. Except in cases where it has no vested interest, the court has begun to advocate for the government's outside interests ruling in favor of the government in matters of war, national security, commerce, and speech. When asked to choose between the rule of law and government supremacy, the Supreme Court tends to side with the government. Hey, if we no longer have the right to tell a census worker to get off our property, if we no longer have the right to tell a police officer to get a search warrant before they dare to walk through our door, if we no longer have the right to stand in front of the Supreme Court wearing a protest sign or approach an elected representative to share our views, 
If we no longer have the right to voice our opinions in public, no matter how hateful, prejudiced, intolerant, misguided, or politically incorrect they may be, then we don't have free speech. What we have instead is regulated, controlled speech, and that's a whole other ballgame. Just as surveillance has been shown to stifle and smother dissent, keeping a populace cowed by fear, government censorship gives rise to self-censorship, breeds compliance, makes independent thought all but impossible, and ultimately foments a seething discontent that has no outlet but violence. The First Amendment, remember this, the First Amendment is a steam valve. It allows people to speak their minds, air their grievances, and contribute to a larger dialogue that hopefully results in a more just world. But when there's no steam valve, when there's no one to hear what the people have to say, frustration builds, anger grows, and people become more volatile and desperate to force a conversation. By bottling up dissent, we have created a pressure cooker of stifled misery and discontent that's now bubbling over and fomenting even more hate, distrust, and paranoia among portions of the populace. Silencing unpopular viewpoints with which the majority might disagree, whether it's by shouting them down, censoring them, muzzling them, or criminalizing them, only empowers the controllers of what we call the deep state. Even when the motives behind controlling what we say, our societal language, appear well-intentioned, such as discouraging racism, condemning violence, denouncing discrimination and hatred, the end result is always the same, intolerance, indoctrination, and a childlike citizenry. It's political correctness disguised as intolerance, civility, and love. But what it really amounts to is the chilling of free speech and the demoralizing of viewpoints that run counter to the cultural elite. We've allowed ourselves to be persuaded that we need someone else to think and speak for us. And we've allowed ourselves to become so timid in the face of offensive words and ideas that we bought into the idea that we need the government to shield us from that which is ugly or upsetting or mean. The result is a society in which we've stopped debating among ourselves, stopped thinking for ourselves, and stopped believing that we can fix our own problems and resolve our own differences. In short, we have reduced ourselves to a largely silent, passive, polarized populace incapable of working through our own problems with each other and reliant on government agents to protect us from our fears of each other. So where does this leave us? We've got to do the hard work of figuring out how to get along again. Charlottesville, Virginia is a good example of this. It's been a year since my hometown of Charlottesville, Virginia became the poster child in a heated war of words and actions over racism, sanitizing history, extremism on both the right and the left, political correctness, hate speech, partisan politics, and a growing fear that violent words would end in violent actions. Those fears were realized when what should have been an exercise in free speech quickly became a brawl that left one activist dead. Yet, lawful, peaceful, nonviolent free speech activity did not kill Heather Heyer. She was killed by a 20-year-old neo-Nazi who drove his car into a crowd of pedestrians in Charlottesville, Virginia. Words, no matter how distasteful or disagreeable, did not turn what should have been an exercise in free speech into a brawl. That was accomplished by militant protesters on both sides of the debate who arrived at what should have been a nonviolent protest armed with sticks and guns, bleach bottles, balloons filled with feces and urine, and improvised flamethrowers, and by the law enforcement agencies who stood by and allowed it. This is what happens when we turn our disagreements, even about critically and morally important issues, into lines in the sand. 
If we can agree to disagree and learn to live with each other in peace and speak with civility in order to change hearts and minds, then we've reached an impasse. That way lies death, destruction, and tyranny. Now, there's a difference between civility, treating each other with consideration and respect, and civil disobedience, refusing to comply with certain laws as a means of peaceful protest, both of which Martin Luther King Jr. employed brilliantly, and I'm a champion of both tactics when used wisely. Frankly, I agree with journalist Brett Stevens when he says that we're failing at the art of disagreement. As Stevens explained in a 2017 lecture, which should be required reading for every American, and I'm quoting here, to say the words I agree, whether it's agreeing to join an organization or submit to political authority or subscribe to a religious faith, may be the basis of every community. But I say, I disagree. I refuse. You're wrong. These are the words that define our individuality, give us our freedom, enjoin our tolerance, enlarge our perspectives, seize our attentions, energize our progress, make our democracies real, and give hope and courage to oppressed people everywhere. So, what does it mean not to merely disagree, but rather to disagree well? According to Stevens, and I'm quoting again, to disagree well, you must first understand well. You have to read deeply, listen carefully, watch closely. You need to grant your adversary moral respect. Give him the intellectual benefit of doubt. Have sympathy for his motives and participate empathetically with his line of reasoning. And you need to allow for the possibility that you might yet be persuaded of what he has to say. Unquote. Instead of intelligent discourse, we have been saddled with identity politics, a so-called safe space from thought rather than a safe space for thought. Safe spaces? That's what we've been reduced to on college campuses, in government-run forums, and now on public property and on previously open forums, such as the Internet. The problem, as I make clear in my book, A Government of Wool, The Emerging American Police State, is that the creation of so-called safe spaces, where offensive ideas and speech are prohibited, are not allowed, is just censorship by another name, and censorship breeds resentment, and resentment breeds conflict, and unresolved, festering conflict, gives rise to violence, and in the end, to a totalitarian police state. The Rutherford Institute is doing its part to push back against the police state and make the government play by the rules of the Constitution. But we can't fight these battles alone. To join the resistance and help us spread the word, start by liking this video and subscribing to our YouTube channel. Visit our website at www.rutherford.org and check out our library of thought-provoking commentaries, legal resources, and so much more. Subscribe to our email alerts and I will send you my weekly commentary, Rutherford press alerts, and a weekly rundown of pertinent headlines and news articles to keep you apprised of the growing threats to our freedoms. And finally, if you are able, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to the Rutherford Institute by again visiting us online at www.rutherford.org or donate using PayPal. Your donation allows the Rutherford Institute to push back against the government's power grabs, corruption, and ongoing assaults on the Constitution. Together, we can make America free again.